Today's scripture reading will be Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. You can find that on page 987 in your pew Bible. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It really does encourage us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We're looking forward to, in a few weeks, October the 23rd, taking part in We Are the Sermon Day. That's a day where in the afternoon, hundreds of us, all of our Bible classes go out, and we do things for our neighbors, and the effort is to not let our words, but let our actions be the sermon. It's a way to preach, if you will, the second greatest commandment without words. We preach it through action. And so in your Bible class today, there will be discussion about what your class will do out in the community and to help others. And I hope that uh, you have success today in planning that and over the next couple of weeks can get involved in that in every way that you can. It was great to hear about the contribution made to Bibles, purchasing Bibles through Eastern European missions. We want to tell you about another uh, effort, and it's a, a smaller request. Uh, but 11 of us are going in just a few weeks to Tanzania, Africa. And it's the first time as a group we've gone from Mount Juliet on this evangelistic effort. There, there are certain lessons that we'll study through with people in Arusha. There, those lessons, once an individual studies for the third time, they are then given a Bible which they prize, they cherish. Very, very few people there own their own Bible. Lesson after lesson, we continually will emphasize to them, don't believe what we say, don't believe what other people say, believe what the Bible says. But the problem is most of them don't own a Bible to be able to read to see what the Bible says. We can purchase Bibles in their language for $8 a piece. Our goal is to have 200 Bibles. We only need $1,600. If you're passing by me or one of the elders or Daniel Nordstrom that's leading this trip today and you'd like to put $2, $5, $10 on our hand, we only need $1,600. And if you'd like to help with that, please just hand off a little money and, and we will promise to put that into uh, purchasing for the Word of God uh, in their language. And we look forward to the good that can be done there. Be praying about that. Today, as we think about memorials, it may seem kind of strange at first to say, could a memorial really be a table and what takes place around the table? You see, in America, we're used to memorials being a lot more substantial. And I, I don't mean to take away from, you know what I'm saying, let's run with me for a few minutes. Don't this is the most substantial memorial that's ever been. But compare it to this. If you research and say, what are the most uh, visited, the most considered the most important memorials in America today, what do you think the first one's going to be? The Lincoln Memorial. Visited over 6 million guests a year. If you've ever walked to the base of this and looked up at the 19-foot tall seating Abraham Lincoln, it does kind of send cold chills down your back. Maybe you've done that. How many of you have ever been there? Look at all the hands. It's because it's the most visited. You stand there and you remember your historical lessons and you remember what he did and you appreciate things that, that he did. 
The second most visited memorial in America today is the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, also there in Washington, D.C., and there's 60,000 names there. There's about 4 million people that visit a year, and of course, many of you have also been there, and it's a very sobering memorial because many times individuals go to see a name of their loved one that's on that wall, and you'll see individuals tracing with their finger that name and shedding tears and, and dropping off uh, flowers or whatever it may be and it really is a touching memorial the third most visited is the world war ii memorial also in washington dc it has about 3.7 million guests each year and it of course is remember all those that gave their life in world war ii outside of washington dc it is the fourth but it's the number one memorial outside of washington dc and it's the statue of liberty there beside Ellis Island, it stands as a symbol, a memorial of hope. Immigrants have been welcomed to America for a couple of hundred years now, and this is the emblem to say, this is the place of liberty and of freedom. Come here. And it is the memorial that helps us remember just how beautiful our freedom really is. You see, these are the ones that, secularly speaking, are the most visited, even sometimes considered the most important. But they're not the most participated in, and they're not absolutely the most important, although they have a great and special place in our kingdom. The most participated memorial that we know of is that of the Lord's Supper. Millions participate every Sunday in partaking of the Lord's table, the emblems. Sometimes in Scripture it's called the Lord's Supper because it's not just any supper. It's a very simple supper, but it's designed by the Lord and it belongs to the Lord and it's offered to us to enjoy this fellowship. Sometimes it's called in Scripture communion. Because the word communion literally means to partake with, to share with. It's not designed to take alone. We are in communion with God. We are in communion with Christ and the Spirit. We are in communion with all the other believers all over the world on this particular first day of the week, as well as with our congregation. Sometimes it's even called the Lord's table to place an emphasis upon that communion, that fellowship. When we sit at a table, we fellowship together. We share in a meal together. We share in conversation together. In a sense, at that point in time, we share in life together. As we think about our theme this year of marvel, we think about various things throughout this year there are things that are marvelous. Paula is that Hebrew word, and, and it's things that are distinguished, things that are set apart. Listen, there's no marvel, there's no memorial that is set apart like this memorial supper. This supper where we are invited to come and to share with the Lord and to share with each other in this marvelous memorial of the Lord's Supper. Would you turn with me, if you will, to Luke, the 22nd chapter? I would like for us to read through a paragraph 
where Luke records about Jesus instituting this Lord's Supper. We'll note some things and then we will finalize with a simple point of instruction. Over the next week or two, we'll continue to come back and look at this memorial that is such an important part of the first day of the week for Christians, and it has been for about 2,000 years. In Luke, the 22nd chapter, in a moment, we'll begin in verse 13, where they prepared the Passover. But I'd like for you to notice, if you back up to verse 8 in your Bible, you see that Jesus sent Peter and John telling them to go and prepare the Passover that they could eat it. And the way they were going to know where to find it is he told them to go into the city and they would see a man carrying a pitcher of water and follow him back to his house. And when he goes into his house, ask the master of that house, where, where is the room that is to be prepared? And he will show you an upper room. And they were told then to prepare the Passover feast. And so when we read now in Luke 22 and in verse 13, notice what he says. So they went and they found it just as he said to them. And they prepared the Passover. Verse 14 says, and when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with them. Let's pause here for just a moment. What hour had come? Well, it was the hour of the Passover, but this particular Passover was especially the hour that had come. You remember the Passover was what God instituted just as he was also going to let death pass over Israel and all of the Egyptians firstborn would die. This would be the 10th plague that would allow freedom. In other words, this would be deliverance from bondage and deliverance from death. In this deliverance would also point them toward their nation again, that they would be in closer fellowship with God. Do not lose sight of both of those as you think about the Passover. It was death passing over. It was release of bondage and in, into freedom, but also into close relationship with God. They now can have their nation. They can be renewed as covenant people again. And now this particular Passover... Not just any lamb was going to be slain, although throughout the year, years, millions of lambs had been slain. But this particular Passover, the lamb of God was going to be slain. That hour had come. Now, did Jesus look forward to it? He didn't look forward to the pain and the shame, but notice what he does say in verse 15. He said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He looked forward to this time of fellowship because this was pointing toward the very reason and mission that he came to this earth. He had set his face toward Jerusalem. The very reason he came to this earth was to die and to redeem mankind. But now notice this, and this is what I really want to drive home this morning. He didn't only come to die and redeem mankind, but what is meant within that is to redeem mankind to come back into fellowship with mankind. Sin separates us from God. Sin does not allow us to put our feet underneath God's table. Sin doesn't allow us to fellowship in God's communion. We can't be partakers of life with God guilty of our sins. And so this, this sacrifice that, that Jesus is about, as we read here, he is about to go and suffer just what we read, but he's looking forward to the fact that after he suffers, you and I, the apostles, all the Christians that's ever lived, 
We're going to be invited to his table. We're going to be invited to fellowship, but that could not happen without his death. So let's continue reading now in 16. For I say to you, I'll no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, note that was one of the four cups of the Passover. Remember, Jesus is leading the Passover here. And so he has just offered them one of those four cups. Now at the end of the Passover, he's going to institute his supper. In essence, he is going to be the fulfillment of the Passover. And from that day forward, it's going to be the Lord's Supper, not the Passover. So now let's, let's read as he institutes this. Look in verse 19. And he took bread, he gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That word remembrance is the idea of memorial. You could also translate this, this do in memorial of me. Do this in remembrance. Lord, what do you want us to do in remembrance of you? Well, he says, I've got this bread. It's a very simple emblem. I have this bread. And as you partake of it, I want you to bless it. But then I want you to break it. The idea of breaking it is, well, not to make light of it, but you know, sometime when you have like a Kit Kat or you have some of those candy bars that it's obvious that they're made to break off. Have you ever noticed that somebody that knows you real well, they'll be more likely to ask for a bite of your candy bar if it's one of those type of candy bars? You ever notice that? Hey, hey, can, can I have one of those Kit Kat? What do you do? You just break it. And what do you do? You share it. The idea of breaking the bread is the idea that we are sharing. This is one bread, if you will. This is one body. And we've come to break it. We've come to say, I'm a participant in this supper. And you are a participant in this supper. And we have come together because of the sacrifice of Jesus to share in this. And you say, oh, so it's just a fellowship meal. No, no. Do this in remembrance of me. It is a fellowship meal, but it is a fellowship meal that is designed by the Lord and offered by the Lord to be a memorial meal. We come together to remember what the Lord has done for us. Now, there's so much more we could say about that and we will in the weeks to come. But now let's go to verse 20 and, and notice what he says here. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper. So now he's picked up a cup again. And now he's instituting the Lord's Supper. And he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. You see, he brings emphasis to the fact we're at a Passover table. We're in fellowship together, but there's somebody that's not sharing in my life for my good right now. There's someone in this fellowship that is against me. And he identifies that, but let's go back to this cup. Notice this cup is a cup of blood that's about the covenant of Jesus. You know, several months ago, we studied about the marvelous covenants. And you remember the very fact that, that the covenant was blood bought. 
And the covenant is shared by those who are part of the Lord. Those that have surrendered their life. Remember, a covenant has responsibilities on both sides. Are you willing to become responsible for what God requires of His covenant people? And God will keep His side of His responsibilities of what He promises for the covenant people. And this memorial feast is a reminder to all of us every week of this covenant that is made by God to us. Now, who's the partakers? Those who have accepted the covenant. You know, so oftentimes people ask, who's supposed to take the Lord's Supper? Look, I don't see any reason to be some kind of like Lord's Supper police and, and, and put your glasses on and, and go around and watch everybody take the Lord's Supper. And if somebody's taking it, shouldn't spat their hand and don't you touch the Lord's Supper. I don't see why that's necessary. But it's very necessary for us to be clear in our teaching and individually clear in our practice. The Lord's Supper is for those who want to come into fellowship with Jesus as covenant people with Him. In other words, if you're a guest this morning and you have never devoted your life to Christ, you have never been, uh, this is terms from Scripture, baptized into Christ, this supper is not for you. The Lord would love for this supper to be for you. He died to give you the invitation for this supper to be for you. This supper is only for those who are willing in their life all through the week to live under his covenant. And he calls his covenant people together every first day of the week to remember the blood that was shed for us to be covenant people and to have fellowship with God and other people that are a part of that covenant. What an amazing, amazing study. I'd like for you to continue this thought with me as we think about from the Old Testament and coming right back to where we are. I'd like for you to think with me for just a moment of altars and tables. Altars and tables. What's the difference? In the Old Testament, we see several altars, but also in the Old Testament, we see several tables. And then in a few minutes, we're going to get to the point where we're going to have to address the fact, is there an altar in the New Testament? And is there a table in the New Testament? I don't have a screen for Exodus 24 because it's a pretty long reading. I'm going to scan some things. If you want to turn there... Let's look for altars and tables in Exodus the 24th chapter. Do you remember that Exodus the 20th chapter is where the, the children of Israel had been led out and they have just entered in out of bondage and they have just entered into the wilderness and God makes covenant with them and he first gives them the Ten Commandments and then he speaks to Moses many other laws and Moses writes them all down. And so we're about to read the setting where Moses calls all the people together and he reads all the rest of the book of covenant to the people to see if they want to become covenant people. And if they do, he's going to sprinkle the blood to make the covenant sealed by blood. But I want you to notice that 
The only way you can sprinkle, sprinkle the blood is there had to be an offering. Something had to die. Let's look as we scan. You see there in verse 1 of Exodus 24th chapter, Moses said, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel and worship from afar. But verse two, Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. That's, that's an interesting thought. God says, I want your leaders to come up closer and I want us to have a period of worship. And he says, now don't come too close though, but I want Moses to go ahead and come even closer as we have this period of worship. And so they do that and, and skipping down into uh, verse four, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord that the Lord gave him. And then notice what he did in verse four. He arose early in the morning and he built what? An altar at the foot of the mountain, 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins. So see, we've got this offering that's been made. And as that, as that life was taken, the blood was captured and half of it was put in a basin and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and that's the book that he wrote that God gave him the, the words. And he read it in the hearing of the people and they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people and he said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all his words. Now pause there. Doesn't that sound familiar what we read a while ago when the Lord took this supper and he said, you, you see this cup right here? It's the blood of the new covenant, not this old covenant. Now this is going to be purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice what happens. So the, but did you pick up there? The altar has been built. The, the life has been offered. The blood has been captured. There's an altar, there's a sacrifice. There is, if you will, the payment has been made. Now what's gonna follow the altar? Notice what follows the altar, verse nine. Moses went up also Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel and they saw the God of Israel and there was under his feet as it were paved work of sapphire stone. It was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand so they saw God and what? And they ate and drank. What followed the altar? What followed the altar was again God saying, come up closer. The sacrifice has been made. You are my covenant people. Let's eat. Let's take the meat off this offering and let's set a table. And notice, I want you to eat in my presence. What's the idea of I want you in my presence? We can come together now. We are in covenant with each other. Brethren, if we do not realize the greatness of God and that sinful people can't come into the fellowship with God, we don't, we don't understand the beauty of what we're talking about in everything this morning. We don't deserve the fellowship of God. Our sin separates us from the fellowship of God. And being people that are forgiven, being people that are allowed to come into covenant, being people that are able, if you will, to put your feet under the Lord's table is an amazing gift. The sacrifice always is a precursor to the opportunity to fellowship around the table. 
Let's see this again. If you will, go over to Deuteronomy. In, in Deuteronomy, the 12th chapter, you remember the book of Deuteronomy is a renewal where Moses reminds them of their law again. They're about to go over after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They're about to go over into Canaan. And so he reminds that generation of some things they need to know. And I just want you to notice the order here in Deuteronomy 12 and verse 6 and then verse 7. Notice verse 6 talks about all these sacrifices. There, you sh which the verses leading up to this, he's saying, when you go in and you have conquest, I want you to destroy all the places of worship and all the idols of the heathens of the land that you overtook. And then I want you to establish worship the way God wants worship to be. And so then he says in verse 6, there you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, the firstborn of the herd and of the flock. And there, so, so the offerings made, now look what's going to happen in seven. And there you shall eat where? Before the Lord, your God. Now what do we do there? And you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand. You, your household in which the Lord, your God has blessed you make the sacrifice, but then when you come into the meal, rejoice. You get to fellowship with God. You're in the presence of God. Notice it one more time. You remember years later when they returned back from the 70 years in exile, they returned back to rebuild the temple and then rebuild the wall. You remember when they re rebuilt the wall in Nehemiah, the eighth chapter? Remember that verse begins by telling us that it was the seventh month. And they, Ezra stood up and he read the law. And remember, the people had forgotten completely about the law. They didn't know what the law said. And so when the law started telling them what they were supposed to be doing in the seventh month, they were supposed to be celebrating the Feast of Trumpets. When you go back and read in Numbers 29, you see that that's exactly what they were supposed to be doing. They didn't know that. So when they heard about it, they began to weep. I want you to look at Nehemiah, the eighth chapter and verse nine. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord, your God. Do not mourn nor weep for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Are you with this? They, they're hearing what God wants them to do and they're, we don't do that. We're pitiful. Shame on us. We're mourning. We're weeping. And notice what the Lord turns around and says in verse 10. He said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those from whom nothing is prepared. Do you get that line right there? So they're going to go out and eat, but they're also going to take portions for people that do not have a portion. So they're going to do this together because they're going to share for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. What do we see over and over? The sacrifice is made. You now can rejoice because you have fellowship with God. Enjoy the meal. Rejoice in the meal. But then we start picking up on signs of enjoy it together. If someone is lacking, bring them in. And so now I ask you, is there an altar in the New Testament? What is the cross? The cross was the place where Jesus Christ, our sacrificial lamb, was offered. And what was that 
first supper that he celebrated just after Passover that we just read in Luke 22. It was a prophetic teaching where he was saying to them, I'm about to go suffer. And after I am the sacrifice on this cross, this altar, all that want to be in covenant with me, all that want to be saved, we're going to be in fellowship again. We can rejoice. We have so much to enjoy. We have so much to share with each other. In 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter and verse 21, I love the way this particular verse is a New Testament teaching where he's looking at those that are wrestling around with, hey, can we go in and, and eat in a pagan's temple? You know, when they offer sacrifice and, and can we be a part of that and eat their meat? And then can we turn right back around and say, but I love the Lord too and I'm going to come in and appreciate your sacrifice and I'm going to eat your meal also. Notice what he says here in 1 Corinthians 10 to 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord. See, the cup points to that covenant. And the cup of demons. What kind of relationship, what kind of commitment do you make with demons? You cannot, notice this word, partake. It's the idea of communion of the Lord's Supper and of the table of demons. You see, this language is pointing to both. There's been an altar and there's a fellowship. Which sacrifice are you appreciating? Because that will determine which table you put your feet around and which one you memorialize. On this next slide, I'd like to, as we start moving things to a close now and bringing it together, I'd like for you to think that in a sense, there's three suppers that we could easily tie together and the Lord's Supper is kind of like the hinge or the bridge between the two. The one supper is the Passover where the lamb was offered for, for death to pass over. And finally, the last time, just before the Christian dispensation starts, Jesus Christ informs them that now there's this new supper and I'm the Passover lamb and I want you to come together with bread and with fruit of the vine. Remember my body and my blood and my covenant and this, it's a memorial, this do in remembrance of me because the Passover was a memorial also. They were to, to do it every year in memorial and they were even to teach their children and what it was all about. But then we read like, for example, in Revelation, the 19th chapter and verse 10, that there's this ultimate feast and it's the marriage supper of the lamb. In other words, the, the groom is gonna come back for his bride, the church, and he's gonna take us all into heaven and we're gonna enjoy this table of fellowship with God eternally. And so all of those that have fellowshiped week after week with the Lord, are those that are going to enjoy the fellowship that is to come. This supper is so much more than just a to-do list on Sunday. Oh, that's right. We've got a lot of ball games this afternoon. Hey, let's, let's, let's just let's sneak in just real quick, take the Lord's Supper, and, and let's get out of here. It's not a to-do list. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just something we do on Sunday. I mean, we sing some and we pray some. And yeah, there's, we, we eat some bread and we drink a cup. Yeah, it's, it's just something that to our heritage, it seems pretty important. Not exactly sure what it is. You participated in it just a few moments ago. I'm not asking you what you believe about it. I'm asking you, what did you do a few minutes ago? And I'm not asking you what everybody around you did. I'm asking you, what did you do a few minutes ago? Did you see yourself at the Lord's table in fellowship with Jesus? Did you see his body that was on the altar of the cross? And did you see his blood? And did you see it in remembrance, in memorial? And did you appreciate all that he has done? And did you see it looking forward that he's alive and he's coming back again? And what we enjoyed earthly one day, we're going to enjoy face to face in that great feast that is to come in heaven. Now we're not going to open up a whole nother study, but this is very, very important to the point we're trying to make. If you are familiar with 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, I want to ask you a second thing of what you did just a few minutes ago. Because you joined in this supper this morning, there's a fellowship of believers. Was your commitment to each other renewed? If there's a brother or sister in need right now and we'd come together and share in a supper but ignore their needs, we're not taking the supper in a worthy manner. If we know that a brother or sister is struggling and we don't care that they're struggling and, and we say, oh, I'm coming around, I'm going to share this supper. No, you're not. You're not sharing in the Lord's supper unless you're sharing a relationship with him and his people. It is a fellowship. It is a sharing in life together. The people that are in his covenant come together and share this to say, we are in this together. We love each other. We care for each other. I want to close by reading to you just a few lines out of 1 Corinthians 11. And we don't have a slide for this. But all I'm going to do is I'm going to emphasize the first few lines. Because, and, and by the way, if you want to study this further, this is a passage that's going to eventually lead up to saying, if you partake in an unworthy manner that you eat and drink damnation to your soul. And, and a lot of people look at that and say, oh, oh, what does that mean? You've got to exactly have the bread. You've got to have the fruit. Well, yeah, I think you do have to have the bread and fruit. Oh, does it mean you've got to really think about the body? And you've got to think, yes, I think it does. I, I, I think those things are important. But don't miss the context. The context of this passage was their unworthiness. Well, I'll just let you see. How, how does this begin? I, I want you to notice the emphasis that's placed on the context here. I'm going to begin at the paragraph where he starts talking about this in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, and then the lesson's yours. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. They had perverted the Lord's Supper so much so, he said, I can't even find anything to say good about you. So now the question is, how did they pervert it so bad? He says, you come together not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. 
So there's something wrong with the Lord's Supper when people come together, take a Lord's Supper, but yet they don't love each other the way they should. And then he writes on, he says, for there must also be factions among you that those who are proved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, each one takes his own supper. See, we're, we're not sharing it together. Ahead of others, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. In other words, one's not offered anything, and one has excess. And he says with an exclamation mark, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and shame those that have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. If you just read this paragraph and said, what was the unworthy manner in which they were taking the Lord's Supper? In essence, what he's saying is, you don't even love each other. How can you say you're gonna come sharing a supper that's purchased by the, the altar of the cross of Jesus Christ and you don't even care for each other? Someone's poor and you just act like you don't see them and let them be neglected and somebody's wealthy and they just pile on their wealth and forget the one that's hurting? How many are spiritually rich and neglect those in spiritual poverty? How many have riches in physical health and neglect those that have poverty and physical health? How many are, are rich in possessions and neglect those who don't? What is this supper about? If we want to do it in a worthy manner, we love each other. We share in each other's lives. I was talking to my son recently about this. And he shared this, and hopefully he doesn't mind me sharing it. He said, you know, Dad, until I studied through this, he said, I used to always keep my head down the whole time during the Lord's Supper. He said, but now I find myself looking up and looking around at the ones that I'm in fellowship with and asking myself, how do I treat them? Am I in a loving relationship with them? Brethren, we've got to get this one right. This whole supper is about everything we are. We are to be in fellowship with God and if we are in fellowship with God, that means we are in complete fellowship with each other. And that's down to the depth of our heart and how we love and how we interact. And this isn't just something to pass time. And it's not some old worn out ritual. I promise you I close with this. As amazing as the cross is, the cross was never meant to be the end. The cross was just the means to bring about the opportunity of the supper. The cross was the means to bring about the opportunity of fellowship. God is saying, I want fellowship with you, but I can't have it without the altar, the cross. I want you to have fellowship as believers. I want a family, God is saying. I want to adopt you. But I can't have that fellowship without the cross. The cross was the means to provide the fellowship. And when we can picture that and understand that and come around the table and appreciate that, how wonderful it is. 
I'm not saying that if, if a church doesn't have a physical table up front, they're, they're not scriptural. But I am saying this to you. There is a reason there is great wisdom in having a table up front. It is supposed to remind us of our fellowship. Every Sunday, I need to see my feet under the Lord's table. And I need to be able to look around and I need to be able to see your feet under the Lord's table and know that we're in this together. And we love the Lord with all of our heart, but we love each other with all of our heart. And we're in this fellowship together. It's the Lord's Supper. It's communion we share together. And this morning, we extend an invitation. We're about to sing a song. And if you're not in fellowship with the Lord, why not? The most beautiful, wonderful invitation that's ever been offered to us is to be able to put our feet on the Lord's table and you say, how do I do that? We commune with the Lord. We become covenant people with the Lord. We believe in that Lord and the covenant that he offers. And so we repent of sins and we turn to him and, and we're baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins. And as a newborn babe in Christ, one of the things that we should look so forward to is the first opportunity we have to take the Lord's Supper to share in the Lord's Supper, to come as a participant in the Lord's Supper. And this morning, if you've never been immersed into Christ or this morning you've allowed sin to separate you from, from God and, and because of your rebellion, the Lord doesn't welcome you around his table. You know that he welcomes forgiveness to you and he offers it if you're willing to repent and confess sin and pray forgiveness. Let's love him with all of our heart. And let's love his people with all of our heart. And let's cherish the opportunity every week 